Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, plant friends. Thank you for joining me today. Here it is, mid-January in Central Texas, and surprise, we have ourselves another weekend of weird winter weather. Today, temperatures were about what we should expect for January, you know, kind of sweater weather, but the wind has been absolutely insane. I think they said on the news that the wind gust would be like 45, 50 miles per hour, which is like nuts to me. And I was looking out the window and saw all kinds of branches out on the ground, but that's just how it goes, right? I always try to look at the positive side of things. So the best I could come up with this time was we might just luck out with all this awful wind and the wind will pick up and carry all of the cedar pollen right up to the Gulf of Mexico and we can be done with cedar allergies really early this year. Cedar allergy season in Central Texas starts in December and usually finishes up by the end of January and sometimes it extends into February. Most trees that we have here in Central Texas, they produce pollen in the springtime and they depend on insects for pollination. But cedar trees are different. They produce pollen in the winter and the colder weather actually triggers them to release their pollen. Usually after a cold front rolls through, right after a cold front, the air dries out and the pressure the air pressure changes and that's when the pollen cones on male cedar trees open up. Now, only the male trees produce pollen and cedar trees are pollinated by the wind. Cedar pollen is very tiny and it's super lightweight and it's able to float and drift in the air. Cedar trees produce a ton of pollen because wind pollination is extremely random. Cedar pollen can float in the air and drift for miles and miles. It's really tiny and lightweight. When the conditions are right, those cones on the male trees will all open up and release pollen and I've seen it happen. I've only witnessed this happening once, but um, it's really weird. It looks like the tree has like smoke coming from it, like it's smoldering or on fire or something. It's just like a haze of smoke that kind of like is covering the tree. Insects have a much better chance of pollinating flowers than the wind because they go straight to the flowers. Since insect pollination is more precise, insect pollinated plants produce less pollen. So all these wind pollinated plants like cedar trees, they produce 
a whole lot of pollen. And even if you aren't normally susceptible to allergies, there can be so much pseudopollen in the air that it can bother you and overwhelm your immune system. And that's kind of why, like when people move to this part of central Texas from somewhere else, and they're not used to this much cedar in the air, then it kind of really takes a toll on them. Now, even though it's referred to as cedar fever, cedar pollen rarely causes um, fevers over 101.5 or so. Wintertime, it's, it, it can be really confusing in wintertime because winter is, of course, peak cold and flu and now COVID season. So if you're not feeling well and you feel like you have a cold or something, if your body temperature gets over 101.5, then it's probably not cedar pollen and you probably have something else going on and you might want to go uh, check with your doctor. Cedar trees that we have around here actually aren't true cedars, but they are juniper trees. And the most common ones that we have around here are ash juniper and eastern red cedar juniper. These two trees just love our part of Texas and they just grow all over the place. Like I said before, the male trees have the pollen cones and the female trees produce berries, which are a really important source of wintertime food for many birds in our area. Birds like the cedar waxwing these are cute little crested birds that have kind of a look and um, kind of the size of like a, one of the a cardinal. Cedar waxwings have light brown bodies with blue-gray wings, and they have just a little bit of lemon yellow on their bellies. And they have these small red-tipped wing feathers. And... They're very sleek looking and really, really pretty. And of course, they absolutely love all of the winter berries, especially the cedar berries. I had ordered some seeds for the new year and they finally arrived this past week. I gotta say that I'm not really sure what I was thinking when I was ordering these. Because even though I had deleted a bunch of seeds from my shopping cart, I still ended up receiving 14 packets of seeds. Now, that's a lot of seeds. I will say that two of these packets were freebies that the company sent, and that was really nice of them to send them. But it's a lot of seeds. Some of these seeds... Um, they can wait to get started. I don't have to put them, I'm not in a big hurry to get them out right now. Um, I have some giant white moonflower seeds that I bought and some really cool Japanese winged beans. And I also got some um, Okinawa pink okra to try. Those three types of seeds, they prefer to be direct sowed outside in the garden soil. And 
they prefer warm temperatures. So I will save those for the springtime. If you're like me and you want to get ahead of the game and put and be able to put out the great warm season veggies um, as early as possible, those warm season vegetables like tomatoes and peppers and herbs like basil that have a long growing season, you'll need to start seeds six weeks before the last average frost, which is for us here in Central Texas, it's early March. So that's right around March 5th. Now, if we count back six weeks from March 5th, we're looking at needing to start our new baby seedlings indoors sometimes around January 18th, which is this coming week. But if your seeds haven't come in or you aren't quite ready this week, you still have a little time. That's just the average day. We still have time, but not a whole lot. Not if you want to get them out really early. Even though it's chilly right now, that long, hot summer is not far away. Tomatoes and peppers need time to grow and mature and be productive plants before that brutal heat takes over. They'll be here before we know it. And I mean, things happen. Things come up and if you don't get around to starting indoors um, seedlings this year or, you know, something goes wrong with your seedlings, maybe they get neglected or something happens, that's okay because you can always buy transplants. Independent nurseries will have the best selection of transplants. They will have tried and true varieties of what do best for us here in Central Texas and they also um, usually sell transplants um, of more unusual varieties too. Probably not as much variety as you can get from starting seeds on your own. Now, some farmer's markets will have plants for sale in the spring. Um, you also might find a friend or two who have extra plants. But then, of course, you can always find plants on Craigslist, eBay, Etsy, other specialty plant websites. But you really will end up paying a lot more for the plants and also having to pay to have them shipped to you. Now, if you are just getting into starting tomatoes from seed, you probably have noticed a couple of terms that are used to describe them determinate and indeterminate. A lot of times you'll see those words all by themselves on a seed packet or maybe on the website or in a seed catalog. It'll just say determinate or just say indeterminate and they won't even be used in a complete sentence. These two words really aren't common gardening words and they only apply to tomatoes. So you might not be familiar with them or you can be like me and it confuses me all the time and it took me a little while to, rem to remember the difference. Determinate and indeterminate are words that describe how they grow. 
all tomatoes will be one kind or the other. So when you are selecting tomato varieties, you'll want to know how they grow. Are the plants a vining tomato or are they bush tomatoes? Determinate tomato varieties are also called bush tomatoes because they are fairly compact and they only get to be about four feet tall before they stop growing. I kind of like to think that these are determined to stop growing. These plants are like, I'm going to grow and grow and grow and grow, and then I'll stop. And once they decide that they are full grown, they will stop growing. And that's when they will start putting on flowers. Now with determinate tomatoes, this is the one opportunity they have to flower and set fruit. Under the right growing conditions, you'll get lots of flowers and then lots of tomatoes. All the fruit on determinate tomato plants ripen at the same time, all within a week or two at the most. And then the tomato plant dies or it goes dormant. And you could baby them and try to get a second harvest from them, but that second harvest is not going to be as prolific as the first. So if you have something else that you want to plant in that bed, just pull them up after that first harvest and get all those great tomatoes. So determinate tomatoes, those are smaller plants and they don't get that big and you only get one crop. Determinate tomatoes also tend to be early producers, so you can harvest lots of tomatoes fairly quickly into the growing season. Because they are smaller plants, determinate tomatoes are suitable for container gardening. Just be sure to plant this type of tomato in at least a five gallon container. The larger, the better, since all tomatoes have extensive root systems they really do their best when they have plenty of room for their roots. So if you know somebody that would like to plant tomatoes and have fresh tomatoes, but they don't have a whole lot of space, or maybe they really don't have the inclination to do a bigger raised bed or even an in-ground garden, then just a few determinate tomato plants in, a large, in large containers would be a really simple thing to do. You won't need to prune these tomato plants either, so they are really, really easy to take care of. Since they don't get that big, you know, four feet or so, determinate tomatoes don't need a lot of caging or staking or other supports. You can add a cage if you want to, but um, you could also just let them grow without any extra support. They will flop over a bit and it makes them kind of annoying to have to like lift up the plants and um, that can be kind of annoying when they're all flopped over like that. But I just prefer to just go ahead and stake or cage them. It keeps them a little more tidy, it keeps them off the ground. And the tomatoes, I don't know, I, I guess my issues are is that tomato plants kind of make me a little itchy. And the less I have to handle them, the better. 
You are listening to Plow and Heads on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plan Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends. Or why don't you head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plan Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please leave a review. It's just super quick to do. It's going to help others find the show. Plus, it lets folks know the Plan Hose is a pretty good show. If you've already left a review, thank you very, very much. I really do appreciate that. All right, let's get back to tomatoes. So those determinate tomatoes are the types of tomatoes that grow more like a bush, and they don't get all that tall because they stop when they get to be about four feet tall. They put all their energy into making flowers and fruit, and then you get one really good crop all at once. But some tomatoes don't grow like that. They grow more like vines. Their stems continue to grow and grow until it gets too cold and the frost kills them. These vining types of tomatoes are called indeterminate. Indeterminate tomatoes grow and produce flowers and fruits all through the growing season from one main stem. These guys will grow, set flowers, produce fruit, then grow some more, then set new flowers and fruit. And here in Central Texas, they can continue this cycle of grow flower fruit all through the late fall since they just keep growing. They can get like 15 feet tall if you let them. Of course, they've got to survive a really long, hot Texas summer, but it really is possible to maintain um, that type of tomato um, way into late fall. Determinate tomatoes have a main stem and branches that put out lots of side shoots called suckers. Suckers are just new sprouts. They form in the V-shape part where the branch meets the main stem. A lot of people will remove the suckers so their plants can put their energy into fruit production instead of new growth. Removing the suckers will help train your tomato plant and it's going to help it keep keep it neat so you don't have like this big giant messy jungle of tomato plants. But you don't have to pinch off your suckers. You can just let them grow and have really full tomato plants. Since indeterminate tomatoes get so long and lanky, you definitely will need large cages or stakes to keep them upright. You can weave the branches through a cage as the plant grows, or you can train the main stem by tying it to a large stake. Some folks will even build towers using three or four stakes and train their tomato plants that way. Indeterminate tomatoes are going to need support because they get so big and their branches can break or get damaged by um, just their own weight. They'll topple over. So no matter what you decide to do, 
You'll definitely want to place a stake or a cage around your tomato plants before they get very big. Tomatoes have extensive root systems and when you plant, when you transplant your tomato seedling, it's gonna focus its energy on getting those roots established before they focus on growing above ground. So don't wait until the top part of your tomato grows to put in your cage or stakes. You don't wanna damage the root system by jamming a stake or a cage into the soil. Be sure your cages or stakes are placed firmly in the soil. They will need to be pretty secure in the soil because the weight of a big tomato plant can cause a cage to like lean over or if it's not really secure, it'll poke out of the ground and pretty much be useless as a support. For both types of tomatoes, you'll want to place your plants two feet apart in the garden. If you are using containers, just one plant per pot. Tomatoes are big plants and they want lots of space. Like I said early in the show, the two terms aren't commonly used since they only describe tomato growing habits. And just to recap, determinate tomatoes grow more like a bush. They stop growing, then they will flower and fruit pretty much only once. Indeterminate tomatoes, on the other hand, are vining tomatoes and they grow continuously. They flower and fruit throughout the growing season. Both types can be prolific, but determinate tomatoes you get all at once and indeterminate types you get over the course of the growing season. Most gardeners grow both types because determinate tomatoes have larger harvest. So you can can or freeze those tomatoes and then also like make salsas and sauces. But they'll, um, they'll also grow some an indeterminate type so they can have tomatoes for salads and sandwiches throughout the growing season. A lot of the older heirloom varieties are indeterminate. These tend to be the ones that are eaten fresh or sliced and used in salads. The hybrid and the more modern varieties of tomatoes tend to be determinate. I don't know how it worked out that way. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Anyway, most of the time it doesn't matter if tomatoes are determinate or indeterminate. It's good to know so you know what to expect. But when shopping for tomato plants and seeds, pick varieties that sound best to you. Some tomatoes taste best when they are fresh and juicy right off the vine. So if you're wanting tomatoes to make sauces and salsas, you probably want tomatoes that hold up better to cooking, like the paste type of tomatoes. These are the ones that are less juicy and they have thicker walls. The only time that it really would matter if your tomato is determinate or indeterminate is if you wanted a whole bunch of tomatoes all at once so that you could like freeze and can them. Or if you had concerns about space and wanted a smaller plant for container gardening. 
really, sometimes it just doesn't matter if they grow like a bush or a vine because you're going to get them because that's just what you want. That's how I am. I like weird and different plants. So I'm really partial to heirloom tomatoes, mainly because they come in so many different colors and weird shapes. The first two shows of 2022, I spent a little time talking about starting seeds. So if you missed either of them and you want to go back and listen to them again, go over to your favorite podcast platform and download episodes number 47 and 48. I have a lot more tips on starting seeds indoors, talking about um, seed starting mix for one thing. But anyway, when you are ready to start your seeds inside, the first thing you need to do is get your planting mix wet. Get a bucket and pour your planting mix in it and then just add a little bit of water and incorporate it. Add a little bit more and mix again. Keep adding and mixing in small amounts until your soil is moist, not soggy, kind of more like a damp sponge. If you pour a little too much water in it and it's too soggy, just let it drain until it gets to that damp sponge stage. And then you can start filling trays or individual cups or whatever you plan to use. Just don't fill them all the way to the top. Look at the planting depth information on your seed packet. The larger the seed, the deeper it needs to be planted. The smaller the seed, the less deep it needs to be planted. Those small little seeds, like basil seeds, they just barely need to be covered with soil. Most seeds really don't want to be planted more than an inch deep. Um, Just read the seed packet or look it up on the internet. Those little tiny seeds will probably need to be just barely covered with soil um, and they are going to benefit from a final spritzing of water with like your spray bottle. The more exposed they are to the air, the quicker the top of the soil is going to dry out. And that is not conducive or good for germination. You're going to want to place some sort of translucent lid over your seedlings to help trap the moisture in. You can use a large plastic tote, clear tote. You could use plastic wrap from your kitchen if you can't can't find anything else. Place your seed trays in a sunny, warm location. Remember, those seeds are really happiest when the temperatures are 70 to 75 degrees, so warm conditions will make them want to germinate, so give them what they want. Make sure that your spot has at least eight hours of direct daylight. If they don't get enough sun or they're too cold, they're not going to germinate. So give them what they want. So once you have your containers filled with your choice of seed starting mix and you've got them all planted at the proper depth and you've made a little mini greenhouse somehow with a transparent lid or some plastic wrap, it's just a matter of time. Depending on what you planted, you should start seeing little sprouts pop up in a week or so. 
Once they pop up, you can remove that plastic um, lid or your plastic wrap. It really is like seven to 10 days. So they're right about a week, a little bit longer. Um, you'll start seeing some little plants. Some seeds do take longer, like two to three weeks to germinate and get going. Just do a little research on the seeds that you planted. More often than not, all the info is on the back of the seed packet. If you planted more than one seed and you have multiple seedlings that sprouted up, you're going to want to decide which seedling looks the best and then get rid of the weaker seedlings. You want to pick the healthiest one because when it comes to selecting seedlings, you want the one that looks the best because that's going to be the one that has the best chance of surviving. Sometimes they all look really good and you'll be tempted to keep them because you did a really good job of getting them to germinate and obviously they have a will to live. It's hard. I mean, I always second guess myself and I sort of fret over which seedling to snip and which one to keep because when they come up and they all seem to look alike, but if you don't thin your seedlings, you can have other issues caused by overcrowding as they get larger and the larger they get, they will compete with each other for nutrients and water. As your seedlings grow, you should try uh, to water from the bottom if you can, just until they get to be three or four inches tall. Watering from the bottom encourages the roots to grow towards the water and you'll end up with stronger roots. Watering from the bottom also keeps you from disturbing the top parts of the little seedlings by unintentionally washing soil away. When they're little, they are fragile and if it's not going to be possible to water from the bottom, just water gently from the top, even just soaking them with your um, spray bottle. Your little seedlings will start off with just a couple of leaves when they sprout up. Those little leaves actually contain all the nutrients they need until the second set of leaves form. So wait until your seedlings have those bigger leaves to fertilize. Now they still are too small to fertilize with a granular product, but you can use a liquid fertilizer, an organic product like fish emulsion or compost tea. Just be sure to dilute it quite a bit, like by half strength. You can give them half strength fertilizer for, uh, you know, like once a week, once they get big enough. If your seedlings seem stressed, then you don't want to feed them. It's, I know it's the complete opposite of what it feels like you should do, but it's really just going to make your con make the conditions worse. So you got to figure out and resolve what the issue is. And don't just try to pump them up with extra nutrients. If the leaves are droopy, that's a sign they need water. If the seedlings are tall and leggy, that's a sign they need more light. If the edges of the leaves are crispy and brown, like on the tips, 
then chances are they have been burned by too much light, too much sun, or too much fertilizer. If they've fallen over and shriveled up, they probably have a pathogen like mold or fungus. When they collapse over, this is called damping off, and there's really nothing you can do to save those little seedlings. Just remove them and make sure your other seedlings aren't too moist or soggy. You'll probably have to start over with new soil or seed starting mix if you have damping off. Plants that have extensive root systems like tomatoes, you may need to transplant them into a larger pot before you take them out to your permanent, um, to their permanent place out in the garden. So a week before you take your seedlings outside for good, you need to harden them off. And this means that you just gradually get them used to living outside. Place them in a protected area away from super bright sun or winds and let them adjust to being outside. Be sure to keep the soil moist because even a light breeze can dry out plants really quickly. Okay, well, I need to wrap the show. I have one last tip for you when starting the seeds. Make sure you label them because aside from losing all of your baby plants to neglect, the next worst thing is not knowing what you have grown. And I promise you, all those little tomato plants look exactly the same and they do for a really long time. So unless you're into surprises, label the different varieties really well. All right. Well, thank you again for joining me. I hope you're inspired to try planting something new and maybe something interesting that you've never grown before. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.